seven of them listed in Romans chapter 12. Uh, I have not been teaching, and I'm not planning to in this series, to teach gifts of the Spirit, nor to teach ministry gifts. There are different uh, messages, and that would be a whole different direction. All of us can find ourselves even in that list in Romans chapter 12. We can find gifts that are in us presently. They're, they're called in that passage, our function. What, how are we to function in the body of Christ? Now, uh, I think it would be accurate to describe anything that we can do as being um, a grace from God. I am graced to do certain things. I mean even stuff beyond what's written in here. Uh, for example, uh, someone who has athletic skills on the professional level. Well, you say, is that, is that an ability of God? For sure it is. For sure it is. I mean, to, to properly see that, if you're a b believer, you should properly see that and say, I've been graced of God in this way, and so you do that for His glory on that level, right? Uh, and really, But I'm not going to find baseball in here. I'm not going to find football in here, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, in the big beginning, <laughs> God created the heavens. No, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, there are and other things that you can do in life. You know, somebody may be very good at math, and you're looking for the gift of math <laughs> or numbers. Or well, there's a book of numbers, uh, <laughs> but you're looking for. Not all those things are, are are necessarily gifts from God in the sense that we're talking about in here, but in the broader sense, they are. I mean, you are graced to think the way you do, to be able to function the way you do in life, no matter what it is. And so we should acknowledge him in that. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to just water everything down and put it in the blender and say everything's the same. You know, when people have said uh, to me in years past, said, my gift is intercession. I say, well, I don't really see that gift in the Bible. Now, I don't mean I don't see that function or that ability or that, or the, you know, praying and praying for the lost and praying for different people. That's extremely valuable. And maybe God has given someone an assignment to, to do that or you've opened up your life to it. But I'm not going to call that a gift. You know, someone says, that's my spiritual gift. Well, that's not really one. I just want to speak about things in as accurate of a way as possible. And some things might just be an assignment or something God told you to do, but it's not listed in the gifts that we have. Everybody with me today? Let me read to you three passages that we've uh, uh, covered and we've used in this series at different times uh, to bring us back up to speed. First uh, Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 reads, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All right, has everyone received a gift? According to this verse, everyone has. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 6a. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So again, we see that, that message. You have a gift or gifts, use them. Don't just be having them. <laughs> I'm happy I have it. Well, it does no good unless they are put into motion and used for God's glory. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 reads, But 
but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And so one of our uh, roles is to acknowledge God's part, God's role in gifting us a certain way. So we value that, we treasure it, we're thankful for it. We're saying, if I'm able to do something, it is God who works in me to enable me to do that. Thank you for it. I embrace it. I accept it. Uh, I'm not going to live my life in frustration while I look at someone else do something that I'm incapable of doing. I'm not going to demean my own uh, gift or, you know... Uh, make it light or unimportant in any way by seeing myself in a lesser light than what God has called me to be. Uh, uh, sometimes we fall into the trap. You read that passage in 1 Corinthians 12. You, you recall about the eye saying to the ear and the ear saying to the eye, I don't need you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we have to avoid the trap of thinking, I want to be this, or I see myself doing such and such, and if a person, if no one else will acknowledge that or give us the opportunity, then we, we say, people will say, well, if you don't let me do that, then I'm just not going to do anything. Well, if I can't be the ear, then I don't, just don't want to be anything. Dude, you're an ugly ear. <laughs> you're an eye. <laughs> You know, but people start saying, well, if I, if you, unless, you, unless I can be here, unless I can do this, I'm not going to do anything. And I wonder sometimes why adults act like three-year-olds. Amen. <laughs> Let's value each other. The gifts of God. And, and if there's something I don't have, and there's a bunch of stuff I don't have, a bunch of gifts, a bunch of abilities I don't have. Uh, but someone else does. And if I don't say, so I want to be that, well, maybe I can't be that. And if I'm not given that opportunity, or no one opens that door for me, I should just serve God. Just serve Him wholeheartedly. Be thankful. You know, like the psalmist said over in there in Psalm 84, uh, how how uh, he said, "I'd rather." Um, how did he say it? He said, "I'd rather be at the doorstep, than be a doorkeeper in the house of God, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness." Yeah, I, just let me be right there in the door. That'd be better than enjoying the luxury and the, all the blessings of the tents of wickedness. I'm in the kingdom, man. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm in the family of God. I've been embraced by God Almighty. Jesus Himself lives in me. Yeah, ah. And if I don't get anything else, I could spend a few decades on my knees saying, thank you, Lord. What a blessing this is. See, that attitude, I'm going to tell you, God can use a person like that. And it's just the right way that we should be. Amen. Acts chapter 13. Did I tell you to go there? Well, good, good, good. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Uh, let's look at this together. If you're able to look at it with your own eyes, that'll be a, of benefit. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said... Now, how many know there's a good principle there if you need to hear from God? Notice when the Holy Spirit spoke... When they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Ah, but I just don't know what to do. Might want to consider skipping lunch. And just worshiping the Lord. Just worshiping the Lord. 
So I don't have to do that. God can speak to me in any other way. I mean, He's God. I know, but maybe He doesn't want to. <laughs> maybe He wants you to get serious about Him and deny fleshly pursuits and activities for a while and set your mind and heart on Him. And, and that's when He talks. Just a thought. That's not even my primary message today. It's just bonus material. Amen. Now, he, he, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, consider Barnabas and Saul... There was a work they were called to. Most people know they were called to be apostles. But up until this point, they were not functioning as apostles. They were prophets and or teachers. And so it wasn't that they had this grandiose call of, of an apostle. And so they sat back and waited for apostle doors to open. Waited for someone to give them a word and send them out and, and, and acknowledge their gift. And, and until that time, they're going to sit back. No, what were they doing? They were busy doing what they could do as prophets and or teachers. Right? This is a pattern with God. This is the way things work. We often do not start the same place we finish. Or the place that we're intended to finish is often not the same place we start. In other words, God gives us something to do and sees what we do with it. And if we are faithful with the small things, He elevates and promotes and advances us into some greater things. And it, we all do ourselves a, a great disservice if we see certain opportunities and activities that are before us today as beneath us or not as important, or less than. Everybody with me? Some are waiting for their dream. Well, I've got this vision. I've got this great dream. I think God wants to do in my life. Great. Is it happening? Well, not yet. Okay. I understand. That's real. What are you doing right now? I'm just waiting on the dream. You might want to stop waiting and get to doing something. Amen. That's the point here. This was not a new calling God had already called them to this. God already called Saul to this when he first got saved on the road to Damascus and saw the light and Jesus spoke to him. He got The call of God was already there, but he hadn't stepped into it yet. And some people never step into what God has for them. Why? Because they're unfaithful where they are. They're not diligently using what he has placed in their hands today. And so faithfulness to serve God in smaller things will one day elevate you to greater things. It's a principle in God's Word. He, Paul wrote to Timothy and told him about certain positions. He said, you need to prove people first. Test them. Prove them. One good way to prove someone who's, who wants to you know, be out front and be recognized and receive the approval of man is to give them a job where no one sees what they're doing. Except the Lord. And when they can't do that, or I'm not going to do that, that's not really my gift. Okay. We won't do anything else then either. There won't be a time of separation. Zechariah 4.10, first part of that verse reads, For who has despised the day of small things? Well, sometimes we'll say it in a different way. We'll say, don't ever despise the day of small beginnings. 
This is a principle in the kingdom of God. Here's a, there's a word in this passage I want to draw your attention to. It is the word separate. The word of the Lord from the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work. Separate means you were doing one thing and now you're not doing that anymore. Now you're doing something different. All right? How many know you cannot do the new thing unless you stop doing the old thing? Separation is a word that is very significant in the life of a Christian. If we don't recognize the value of separation, we often get bogged down with the past. It is said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. I want you to notice that language speaking about Jesus. This, this describes him separate from sinners. I wonder sometimes if people struggle with their sin because they are too close to sinners. They were called to be separate from sinners, but they have embraced sinners and they are one with sinners and therefore struggle with the sinner's sin. This separation is very real in the spirit. If you've been born again, the day you made Jesus the Lord of your life, God separated you. He made a, a distinguishment between the person you used to be and the person you are. You went from unrighteous to righteous, from unholy to holy, from lost to saved, from darkness to light, from the kingdom of, of, of this world to the kingdom of His Son. In a moment, in an instant, spiritually, you were, I was, separated in the kingdom of God. However, that separation must have a practical outworking. Otherwise, I will find myself connected to, weighed down by, and even sometimes slipping into the old patterns of the past and of the flesh because I don't have a practical separation like Jesus did. Now, this might raise questions, of course. Say, well, Jesus wasn't really separate from sinners. Stop, stop. Yes, he was. The word says that without equivocation. He was separate from sinners. Yeah, but he was around them all the time. Yes, that's not what that means. Neither is it true that, that this is would, would be what it, what it means for us. Okay? When people um, were around Jesus, it was, it was different. He, yeah, he didn't withdraw. They loved him. And in fact, he loved them. That was the reason he came. So it wasn't like there was, was no interaction with him and sinners. That's why he came. He was merciful to them. However, if you wanted to hang around Jesus, you had to adapt to him. He was not going to adapt to you. He was solid as a rock. I think about the, uh, one of the Superman movies. Did you see those movies? Uh, when he, Superman was dressed in normal clothes, not in, you know, underwear on the outside. <laughs> and, uh, 
And, and so he was not known as the Man of Steel, and some guy was giving him a hard time. And, and is it, I might remember the name of the movie. Was it Man of Steel? And, uh, and that guy, the guy in the, in the restaurant or bar or something like that uh, was trying to pick a fight with him and punched him. And, went, and, it, and he didn't move. He didn't move an inch. He didn't waver. He just stood there like the guy punched a cement wall. <laughs> And he stepped back and his hand hurt and everything was surprised that you can hit him with such force and he doesn't even flinch. And I think that's the way Jesus was. Spiritually. He wasn't moved at all. It's the way we should be. We're different. We're not moved by them. So people would get around Jesus or he would get around them. They would change. He wouldn't. Yeah. There was a guy, for example, named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Help me, Amy. As the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I remember now, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. <laughs> okay, that's an old song. Uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. You know what tax collectors were in their day? They were crooks. You know why? Because they would steal from people. They had this power and they would take too much. And, and the average person, if you say sinner and tax collector, they go together. All right, same sentence. See? And so Jesus seeing Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus and Jesus pointing him out and saying, I'm coming to your house for lunch. He said, Jesus, separate from sinners. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today, <laughs> right? What happened at lunch that day? Well, Jesus started ripping people off too. And Je right? Jesus, you know, took a little money under the table and fun just for the ministry, of course. Uh, no, no. What happened is he met with him and at the end of their time together, Zacchaeus starts bringing things up. He said, Lord, I'm giving half of my money to the poor. Think about it. This is a greedy dude. He's a, he's a crook. He's ripping people off. And just like that, he's given a half, half of all his money to the poor. Why? Jesus has that effect. When you are separate from sinners, you can influence them that way. And he said, if I've ripped anyone off, I'm going to restore it times four. So this greedy guy who's all materialistic and all about take, getting money, all of a sudden he's giving it all away because he came in contact with Jesus. Because he came in contact with who? The guy who was separated. Separated. You and I carry great influence. We have a great working of God in our lives when we are separated. This is essential. Amen. Now, I want you to consider this. In order to function in your place, you have to give some things up. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. You have to leave something in order to gain something, in order to do something else. This is a principle that if we're not willing to acknowledge or submit to, we'll never be used of God fully. We live in a culture today that does not want to do anything that's not convenient. And if there's an opportunity before us to use our gifts for God, we check our schedule and we check our, our time and our we, everything. And if possibly, maybe we can squeeze it in, 
Yeah, I guess I could maybe do that. If it's convenient. If it works out. If it fits in our daily routine, then we consider it. And I'm wondering, do we even get credit for it if it doesn't disrupt our routine? I mean, does it even get heaven's attention when we slide it in and it doesn't affect us at all? Because there's no separation happening there. I'm not leaving anything to do something for God. I'm squeezing Him in. Maybe. If it fits. For a week. There was a, a time in the Old Testament where David, King David, was making an offering to the Lord and and uh, he, was, he went to this guy who had the, the place, the threshing floor, and so forth, where he could make this offering to the Lord. And he, David was saying, I'm going to buy this from you. And the guy was pushing back. Of course, you understand that, him being king. He said, no, just take it. I'll get it for you. I'll get the animals, get everything necessary for you to make your offering and worship the Lord here. And, and David declined that. And his words were very powerful. He said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And I wonder sometimes if we want to serve the Lord today and do it in a way where it doesn't cost us anything. Oh yeah, I can squeeze that in. Oh yeah, I can afford that. I can, I can work this in. Come on, man. It's time to be separated from something. What needs to die? What needs to be cut off? What do I need to give up? So I can use that spot, that space, that space in my mind and my schedule in my life and use it to, to function in the gift that God has placed in me for His kingdom. Now it's a value. Amen. It, Paul said of himself when he wrote to the Romans, Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Notice that language. Not he just preached the gospel. He was separated unto it. What are we separated unto in our lives? All right. Now consider the word desire. What do you want? What do you want to do? What do you desire? What do you like? I believe that God's gifts in us are connected to desire. However, not carnal desires. Spiritual desires. I really think that there are spiritual desires and there are fleshly or carnal desires. If I'm unable to distinguish, I'll miss God. Because there is a mentality among some that if God really wants me to do something, then... I'm going to want to do it. If it's not my desire, then it must not be God's will. You ever heard that? You could say it different ways. People will say, well, God wants me to be happy. <laughs> and then they justify their sin right after that. Because <laughs> God wants, yes, He wants you to be happy. That's a true statement. But it's not the primary highest motive of all decision making. Right? There are desires that are fleshy, carnal. That are, there are desires that are spiritual, and they really do come from God. I do not want to make a, have a confusion between flesh and spirit. 
I don't want to attribute anything I don't want to do to that must not be the will of God because I would really want to if he wanted me to do that. I have discovered, maybe you have too, that desires change the closer you get to God. Why is that that they change? Because some are fleshy and some are spiritual. When I draw near to him, the things of this world grow strangely dim. When I get close to God, there are some things that used to be super important. I could hardly get it off my mind. I worked for it, put all my energy into it, and now I could almost care less. Or couldn't care less, or however you say that. When you draw near to the Lord, yes, spiritual desires come up. And you start desiring the things that He wants. Everybody okay? Go to Hebrews. Are you still in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Uh, if you can, look at this with your own eyes. Hebrews 13 verse 20. Notice it reads, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work. So this is a prayer. He's saying, may the Lord do this. Make you complete in every good work to do His will. How does that work? How does that work? Well, it goes on to say, working in you, what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice the language. He works in us what is pleasing to Him. Not just to us. He's working in us. It's happening right now in this service. God is working in people and your desire to serve Him and to live for Him and to do His will is taking a prominent place in your mind and things that you have desired in the past, things that you used to give all your time and attention to are becoming, becoming unimportant. Your seeking after Him and drawing close to Him is changing the way you think. The more closely I walk with God, the more I want to please Him. His desires become mine. A close friend of mine, when he first came to the Lord, got, got right with God many years ago, he was dating a particular girl, and he was living a very worldly life. He, would, he drank a lot, get drunk a lot, and he'd have sex with his girlfriend all the time, and just normal. This is the way things were in his life. He got saved. And without anyone telling him, he started making decisions. He went to his girlfriend and said, we can't sleep together anymore. She wasn't happy because she didn't get saved. <laughs> she wasn't happy with him. But, you know, takes two to tango. <laughs> and he just knew. He just knew that. Oh, he's spending time with the Lord. He said, I can't do that anymore. And then what happened, happened, you know, shortly later is, you know, this might sound a little bit graphic, not overly graphic, but uh, he went to her and said, well, we can't French kiss anymore. Because <laughs> he heard any in was an in for the devil. <laughs> <laughs> so he told her, no, can't do that anymore. And a little while, just a couple weeks later, we can't kiss anymore. 
No one was telling him to, to do these things. He drew close to the Lord and God was working in him to please him with his whole life. And it wasn't, he wasn't following some law or legal. God was working in him. I tell you, when we get close to the Lord, his will, his desires become apparent to us. Everybody okay? Here's the key. You need to follow that. Because no one on the outside knows it's happening. You can smile and have a conversation and no one knows you're having a conversation with God at the same time. And sometimes arguing with Him. Uh, I don't want to do that. Mm. You're fighting Him. Have you ever had that fight? Uh, uh, uh. I've had that before coming up here to preach. Because the Lord changed my message in the middle of it and I'm ready to go. And he's, uh, I'm like, oh. I don't want to do that. I have a better plan. <laughs> I've got something here to say. And so this happened to me standing over there. What am I doing on the outside? <laughs> and I'm having a battle on the inside. So if you've ever had that, maybe you haven't had it in that way, but we all have. We're going a certain way in our life, and maybe we've got some old habits and some things that are of the flesh and not of Him. And uh, we're struggling with it, and everyone, no one else knows you're, doing, you're dealing with it. But be real with God. Because the only way to live the way you have been living is to back away from Him. Is to lessen and deprioritize your relationship with God and prioritize the other things that you've been doing. Why do people behave in such a way that they do? I mean in a good way. Why do, why do some people in our country leave a life of comfort and enjoyment and provision and go to some of the roughest parts of the world and live there to preach the gospel to the people who are far from Him? Why would they do that? It makes no natural sense. Why would you give up comfort and, and these amenities that we have and put yourself in such a, 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 you know, a difficult place? Here's why. You got close to the Father. And His heart became your heart. His love for people moved you to say, I don't even care about this anymore. Uh, air conditioning? Who needs that? These people need Jesus. That's why people... That's, how many people are all over the world doing that today? A lot. What happened? They drew close to the Lord and that moved them to act that way. It's obviously not selfish. On a lower level, why do so many of you give up your time, come to services early, stay late, some come to multiple services? Why do people, why are people ministering to our kids right now and they don't get to be in here with us? Why do people come in during the week and help with different areas? So that doesn't, and they're not being compensated. What's happening? They drew close to God and He worked in them. And his desires became their desires. And all of a sudden, well, uh, you know, I want to do this. I know, but you're going to miss out on this club or this thing that you used to do on this day of the week. I know, but that's worth it to me. That's how that happens. Say, well, I'm not drawn close to the Lord then because he's going to mess up my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, he will. And you will be thankful for it in the end. And you will try to convince other people to do the same. I guarantee it. You don't walk with the Lord closely and get and be disappointed and say, oh, I shouldn't have ever done that. <laughs> I mean, is anyone in here saved? And, and you received the Lord. I know there are. But you received the Lord and later you said, I wish I wouldn't have gotten saved. That was the worst mistake of my life. I've never heard that testimony. Let me read one verse to you in closing. It's uh, from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. In verse 13, it reads, Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for His good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Come on, say it out loud. I know that God is at work in me now. He is creating and giving me the power to do His will. He's giving me His desires to please Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the way it works. Amen. Believe that. Can I encourage you, when you think about this t today, this week, say, thank you, Lord. You're working in me. Amen. You are working in me. Working in me. Working in me to will. The New King James says it this way. To will and to do of your good pleasure. You're working in me to want to. You're working on my want to. Someone said, I know I should do better. I just don't really want to. The Lord is working in you and changing your want to. He is. And the more we draw near to Him, the more our natural desires go down and our spiritual desires come up. Praise God. Amen. And we can live separated lives. Separate unto me these <laughs> to the work in which I have called them. Amen.